about Jesus. It's fun to talk about uh, grace and all that kind of stuff. But there are some things in the Bible that just are not as fun. And James is a very, very difficult book to preach on. It really is because he he's kind of a hit-you-in-the-face type of person. Um, my son is doing um, football. They just started Simpsonville Rec football. It's been really fun. They're excited, and I'm excited to see them get to be smashed and smash other people. It's great. So uh, my wife's like, I don't want any part of it, you know. But I'm like, I want to see them hit some people. So, um, but they're teaching them how to hit people. So they write in the first thing. They say, Hey, you get in a three-point stance, and the coach was telling the guys, they're like, This is your one opportunity to smash somebody and hit them as hard as you can and not get in trouble. And the guys are like, hmm, you know, hey, nah, this, is a, this is pretty cool. So he teaches them three-point stance, and then you just come up, and you just, and you, you hit. And so um, this is James. He is, when he, li- he is lined up, and he is ready to punch us and hit us, and this is what he does. Um, and uh, let's read in James chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, what good is it, have you got that, yeah. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? This is a rhetorical question that he's asking. He says, what good is it, and can such faith save them? And what he says is, is it any good for someone to say, hey, I have faith in God, but their life doesn't back it? up. He says, what good is it if someone says, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but if you watch their daily life, if you watch their activities, if you watch what they do, there's no indication that that is true. And he says, what good is it? Well, he already knows the answer. And hopefully you do too. The the answer to that question is it is no good. And then he says this, which is um, pretty tough. He says, can such faith save them? And the answer to his rhetorical question is no. So what he's saying is, is a person who claims to know God um, and says, yeah, I believe in God, but has no evidence, no living proof to back it up. He's saying, can that kind of faith save them? And he says, no, that person is not saved. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty tough. He's going to give an example. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Now, we've talked over the last few weeks that many of these Christians that he's writing to are in this type of situation. There are people who are very needy and, and they have need. They need clothes. They need daily food. Um, But he says, suppose there is someone. And verse 16 says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Well, if you answer the question, what good is it? The answer is no. If you see someone in need, if you see someone who needs clothes and who needs food and you walk by them and it's uh, interesting, I read a commentary uh, about this um, phrase, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. And it's almost a sarcastic, vulgar term. It's, it's like be warm and get fat. That's, the, that's really the kind of the, the slang of it. It's saying, oh, just have your fill. 
Just go be blessed. And what he's saying is that if someone walks by someone who's in need and they just give empty blessings, empty, you know, empty promises, empty, you know, it's just useless information. It, it doesn't do any good to walk by someone who's in need and say, oh, be warm and be well fed. Go get fat. It's almost a sarcastic tone. Well, that doesn't do them any good. And then he says, in the next verse, verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Stone cold, dead. Not alive, no good, not save you, dead faith. Um, James kind of just says it as it is. He says it as it is. He says, if, if, you, if you believe it, you will live it. If you don't live it, you don't believe it. Because we live what we believe. And we do not live what we do not believe. Is that true? It is true. You say it with me. I live what I believe. Say that. I live what I believe. You sure do. You live what you believe. And the things that you don't believe, you don't act on. Why? Because you don't believe them. Um, James is hitting something that I I think is um, pretty true to our American culture. Would you say that that would be true? Would you, would, do you think that there are people in America, people in our town, people in your neighborhood that would say, I believe in God, I have faith in God, but that there are no actions and there is nothing in their life that would give indication to that statement? Are there people like that? Um, there were people like that uh, in, in biblical times, many, many people like that. James was speaking to people, and his concern was that was the way they were going to be. There were people who gave their words to God, but not their life to God. And in Isaiah 29, 13, um, Isaiah has a revelation of God, and God, God speaks to him, and God wants him to share a message to the people of Israel. And here's what he tells him in Isaiah 29, 13, about the people of Israel. He says this, says, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, people talked about God. People said, oh, yeah, God is, you know, I'll honor God with my mouth. But their hearts were far from him and their actions were, were far. It's, it's, it's a reminder that it's a, it's a heart issue. What we say is one thing, but what's more important to God is not what we say, but is what is in our heart, is what we believe deep in our heart. And if we believe it in our heart, then James tells us we're gonna actually live it out. And there's gonna, you're gonna see fruit, you're gonna see evidence of what is in here. Uh, a recent Gallup poll said that 94% of Americans say that they believe in God or in some type of universal spirit or overarching God type thing. So 94% of Americans say that. How many of you would say that percentage is off with the amount of people that would live on that and act like they believe that there is a God? That is, yeah, yes, very much way off. 
way off. And the reality is, is there are lots of people who, again, James would speak to and say, you, you claim to have faith. You claim to believe in God, but there are no actions that back that up. James would call that dead faith, useless faith. Why even call it faith at all? Because it's not really faith. It's not really belief. It's just words. But so many times there are people who um, come to Jesus, they hear about God, and at least in our culture, you know, we talk, there's a lot of God talk in our culture, not a lot of Jesus talk, a lot of God talk in our culture, because if you talk about God, most, you know, you know, and even on the news, and you can even be the president and say, I believe in God, that's, you can get away with that, and you'll be accepted by everyone. There are only very, very few true atheists in the world. But you know what? There are a lot of what we would call practical atheists. See, a practical atheist is someone who they say they believe in God, but the way they live their life, they live like there is no God. Their words reflect that there is, but their life reflects there is not a God. And there are many people who call themselves Christians who would live this way. People who would say, "Um, sure, I I have faith in God, um, but... They don't want to talk too much about Jesus because, um, let's be honest, when you start talking about Jesus, people start giving you weird looks. Like you could talk about God a lot and, and you find you can blend right in. When we start talking about Jesus, then things get a little more controversial. They get a little stranger. You know, you, you can't, you know, you can go to church, at, you know, at a decent church, you know, not too many, too much of a crazy church, one that has a good reputation, and you can get away with that. But um, definitely don't make your life look too different or too radical because um, people will definitely start talking then and let's not, definitely not do that. I mean, you know, we can't even eat at Chick-fil-A now because if we eat at Chick-fil-A, we're anti-gay and we're homophobes just because we eat chicken. Um, but there's, you know, they just put stereotypes and people love to label everyone. So that's just what, what we love to do, which is uh, ridiculous, but it's just indicative of the sinful nature of people. And so... Um, so, so here we are in this situation where we have a lot of people who say they believe in God, but their actions don't necessarily back it up. Um, the book of Revelation has a message to a group of people that were just that way. And the book of Revelation has this unique um, uh, uh, part in chapter 3, and it has letters to different churches, different churches in different cities um, near, near Jerusalem. And I want to read to you a section of that, which is about uh, the church of Laodicea. And it's found in Revelation chapter 3, it's um, verse 14 and 15. Um, but this is, a, this is a city who was pretty wealthy. They had a lot um, comparatively to that time. They didn't have microwaves yet. Um, but it was coming soon. But they had a lot comparatively to that time. They were pretty wealthy. And much like America, they had theaters and they had um, the Olympic. I mean, they had like, you know, sports events. And I don't know if they had the Olympics, but they had sporting events and things like that. And here's what um, God says to them. Uh, Revelation 3 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? It says, I know your deeds. In other words, I know your actions. I see what you really do. That you are neither hot or that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. Have you guys ever um, had a warm glass of milk on a nice hot day? Nothing more refreshing than that, is there? 
Um, the other day I was, uh, went down to eat breakfast and I got a late start on breakfast because I'd worked out and was doing some other things. Anyway, it, it was, um, it was kind of almost like brunch or something. And I went down to the kitchen and the milk was out. And so I poured some milk, poured some cereal, actually opposite cereal, then my milk. That would have been weird the other way. And, uh, and I took a bite and it was like, Ugh! the milk was, it was warm. It was just room temperature. I could not eat that cereal. Anybody ever eaten lukewarm cereal? It was nasty. And so I gave it to the dog because I wasn't about to eat that. So, of course, if my kids had poured that, I'd be like, kids, eat your food, you know. But not me. I gave it to the dog, you know. So it was nasty. Um, this is the way God describes this, um, this church, these people. He described them as lukewarm. Now, listen to what verse 16 says. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you, spew you, or throw you up out of my mouth. He says, I can't stomach you, is what he says. You make me nauseous, is what he says. You're, you're, you're a nasty taste in my mouth, is what he says. God says, I can't, I can't stomach your, your, the way your words and your actions do not align. I think that when God looks at much of America, I think that he would say the same thing. You make me nauseous because you speak of me as if you know me. You speak of me as if you follow me, but your hearts are far from me. Your lives and your actions and your deeds are very far from me. I believe that God would say that to many Americans. I don't know if if that's who you are. I know that for all of us, we probably have been at that place at some point where we have said we believed in God, but we've lived very differently. And that's why I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus. But for many of Americans, we just have this attitude. I just, I'm sure I believe in God. But in reality, we live like there is no God. We're practical atheists. James says it this way. This is how how James even puts it. We're going to skip down to verse 19. He says, James 2, 19. says, you believe there is one God. Good. Way to go. He's like, let me give you a round of applause. Golf clap. Wait just a second. (laughs) Even the demons believe that and shudder. So you're like a demon. Good job. You're just like a demon. You've raised up to the level of demons. All right, that's not a good thing, okay? If you were wondering, that's not a good thing. He's not saying he's proud of you because you just believe there's one God. He says even demons believe that. Even demons believe that. So... This uh, idea of a lukewarm Christian, a dead faith person, it's really a, it's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp, you know? Lukewarm Christian can't fit together. It's like Microsoft works. It just, you know, those two things just do not, it just do not go together. You know, government efficiency, you know, it just, no, no, a lukewarm Christian, it should not go together. It's an oxymoron because you cannot be both a Christian and be lukewarm have no deeds to back it up let me just share with you a few things 
I found this in a book called uh, Crazy Love, which is by an author named Francis Chan. He's a great um, great speaker, great author. I love his stuff. But he, he wrote about lukewarm Christians, and he gave uh, just kind of a list. I want to read to you some of these. Number one, he said that lukewarm Christians crave acceptance from people more so than Jesus. They long to be liked uh, more so than they care about um, the, living God, the living God. Number two, they rarely share their faith. They, why would they share their faith? Because they, they don't really believe that Jesus has even really saved them. They hope that Jesus has saved them. But Jesus is not really a, a big deal because most of them believe that most people are just going to heaven, except for maybe a few really bad people that they don't like. Um, but most people are good enough. They're going to make it into heaven. So why should they talk about Jesus to people? Because hell is not a reality. Verse 3, or not verse 3, number 3. They do whatever they can to alleviate their guilt. They do whatever they can to alleviate guilt. So maybe they'll go to church once a month, or maybe they'll put $20 in a plate somewhere, or they'll be generous and give $20 to a, you know, a children's home or somebody in need. and Whatever they can do just to make themselves feel a little bit better about all the bad stuff they've done. Well, maybe if I start serving somewhere, or I get on the board somewhere, or I go, you know, go help at a soup kitchen, you know, on Christmas time, then I'll feel better about my guilt, and I won't feel so, so, so bad. Um, this is what a lukewarm Christian will do. Number four, they think more about life on earth than their life in heaven. They think more about job, house, home, um, sports, those kind of things than they do about uh, about heaven and spiritual things. Why would I care? Why would I care about my neighbors? Why would I reach out to them? If again, if spiritual life is really not that important. Number five, we gauge their morality by comparing themselves to others. Hey, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as those people. I'm sure not as bad as my neighbor over there. You know, and um, I'm not as bad as my kids because man, they're bad. You know, so um, some of you have bad kids. Number number six. They they want it. those are my kids. They want to be saved from their sins, but not so much that they need to stop sinning. They want to be saved from their sins, but not so much that they would be willing to stop that sin. God, I want you to save me because I have this addictive behavior. But I'm sure not really willing to give that up. Number seven, they only turn to God when they're in a bind. God's a vending machine. They need God, so they they pray. They have a bad marriage. They so they pray. They call themselves Christians, so of course they're going to pray when they need Him. But if they don't need Him, then they don't. There is no acknowledgement of Him. Number eight, they give whenever it doesn't hinder their standard of living. Um, there was a, a recent poll that stated that non-Christians were more generous than Christians. I don't know what kind of poll that was. It was some um, Barna poll, who's a Christian guy who does surveys. And uh, that's a really pathetic and sad thing. <laughs> it's a funny story. It's not funny. Um, we've been serving at the movie theater, and we've been giving away popcorn, and we're selling concessions, and we're going to donate all of the products, everything that we sell, the church is going to buy, and then every dollar or penny that people give us for water and candy and whatever, um, we're giving to the Golden Strip Emergency Relief Center. 
that's where we're giving that away. I was telling this, we're giving away free popcorn. This guy's in line, I'm like, hey, and if you buy water, candy, or anything, all the money goes to the Golden Strip Emergency Relief, which is a food bank and helps people in need. He's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he pulls out his wallet and he looks, his wife is standing beside him. And, you know, he's a middle-aged man. And he's like, he pulls out a five. And he says, I'm, why don't you go over and get something? And she kind of goes, we don't need anything. He's like, and so he puts the five back. I'm not joking. Does this right in front of him. Puts the five back and he pulls out a dollar bill. So it goes from the five to the dollar. And he, he kind of wrestled with it. You, he just, you could just see it turning in his mind. Like, I want to be generous, but I'm not sure if I should be. I want to donate, but I'm not sure if I should be. So he pulls out the dollar and he's like, well, I just could get something. He, he just holds it out right out of his wallet. And he looks over at her and she goes, and he puts it back in and then he just walks away. Thank you and walks away. And um, that was right after they told me um, what church they went to. So that was pretty fun. But this is the way lukewarm Christians live. Number nine, they are not much different than the rest of the world. They look the same. They act the same. They watch the same movies, television, TV shows. They read the same books. They curse the same. They, you know, they do all the same stuff. Number 10, they want the benefits of Jesus, of what Jesus did, without conforming to who he is. They want the benefits of what Jesus did without conforming to who he is. We all love grace because we all need grace. But James says, the only kind of faith that saves you is the kind of faith that reveals itself in the way you live. That's a harsh, harsh harsh verse, a harsh truth. James puts it this way in verse 26. He wraps it up and he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, like a a, a person, if there's no life in them, if the spirit is gone, they're just a corpse. So faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. You know, it's so easy in America to believe in God, but it's so difficult to believe in him and to rat- and actually to radically live out faith in Jesus because there's a lot of opposition to doing that. People will, you know, people will try to keep you from putting your business in their city if you disagree with them. You know, it's so much easier to just agree with everyone and we call that tolerance, but that's not of God. God accepts everyone. And, but God is tolerant. He's not tolerant of sin. God is a judge. And God says, because I'm a judge and because I am good and because he is right, he has created a standard. And the standard is if you sin, there is judgment. We have all sinned. And the only way we don't face judgment is because there is Jesus who he sends in his grace. Because he loved us so much, it says, because God loved the world so much, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, have faith in him, have faith in him, that he, would, that he would not perish but live eternal life. That word faith, there is no such thing as faith without action. There is no such thing as faith without action. Now, some of you might have grown up in uh, church and maybe you've kind of heard this argument. Maybe, you've, maybe you're concerned. Well, does that mean I have to work and do stuff to earn my salvation? Many people think that. That is not what this is saying. 
That's not what this is saying. You don't have to work to earn your salvation. It's very, very clear in the scriptures that it is by grace that we are saved. But if you are saved by grace, you will act it out. It's salvation at grace, but there are actions that follow. In other words, if you are saved by the grace of Jesus, you, you will live differently. Or the, as Jesus says it, this is not just from James. This, Jesus said it. You know, he said it many times. He said, you will know a tree by its fruit. If, if, if someone says they believe in Jesus, then the fruit of the tree, the actions and the deeds of their life will reflect who they are in their heart. If the fruit and the deeds of their life do not reflect who they are in their heart, how could you call them a Christian? Super harsh. Again, this is not stuff that I'm really excited about, about preaching and telling people. <laughs> hey, I, I, can't, I didn't get up this morning and say, man, I'm so excited about telling people that they're not really Christians, that they're not really sad. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Can't, can't wait. Um, but I, the reality is, it's, you know, as, as Isaiah says, as the Lord says, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And the only person who knows your heart is you. And so I just would ask you to, to do some kind of heart investigation and say, am, am I an atheist? Am I a practical atheist? Do I, do I talk about God, but do I live as if there is no God? If you're a practical atheist here, you, you are an atheist. And James would say that faith does not save you. But it's a person who comes into faith and when you, when you come to the person of Jesus and you realize what he's done for you, when you realize that there's a Jesus who, who died on a cross, who though in spite of your sin, in spite of your rejection of God, in spite of your, you claiming to know him but not living for him, in spite of all that you've done to reject God, that he, it says, the Bible says that he looked at you in your sin and as a response, he sent Jesus to die for you. That there was a, a death and a payment to forgive you because his love is great. Yes, Jesus loves everyone. And Jesus died for everyone and there is grace for anyone who would accept it. But that doesn't mean that everyone's going to heaven that doesn't mean that everyone who just says, I believe in God, will enter in the scariest verse in the Bible is the one where Jesus says, there will be many people who will say, Lord, Lord, but they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They know the name of God, but they have not made him God in their lives. They know his name, but even the demons know that. It's interesting in that passage in Revelation, um, after he says he's going to spew them out, he talks about how they're, although they're rich in what they have, he said they're really poor and destitute in their spirit. He says, you, you think that you're rich, but you're poor and destitute in your heart. And then he says this very famous passage. It's Revelation 3.20, and it's not up on the screen, but it says this, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's this picture of grace that Jesus says, although um, you are far from me, I stand and I knock. He desires a relationship with you. He desires to be a part of your life and to be a part of, and he desires to be in your heart. He doesn't just 
want you to be a moral person. That's not what earns you into heaven. It is through, it is through the person of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. It's not being a good person. It's not being good enough. It's not just saying you believe in God. But it's coming through the person of Jesus and saying, I cannot earn my own salvation. I, I have to trust and have faith in him and then live that out in action, in belief. So many of you have kind of grown up in this judgment slash a grace picture. You're like, well, which one is it? Do it, you know, if people who watch, do people who watch rated R movies, do they go to hell then? You know, if they do anything bad, does that mean I'm going to hell? And, you know, you know, if I, if I speed, does that mean I'm going to hell? No, that's, that's not what it means. Well, then it must mean I'm just, you know, God loves me. He's going to forgive me everything so I can do whatever I want, right? It's okay if I sin because God loves me and he's going to forgive me. Yes, he loves you, he forgives you. But here's the thing that James would say. You cannot grace yourself into disobedience. See, that's what people want to do. They want to grace themselves into disobedience. I'm about to do this thing that I know I'm not supposed to do, but God loves me, forgives me, therefore it's okay. That is, James says, no. He says, what good is faith like that? He says, it's not any good. He says, it's dead. It's the person who realizes Jesus paid for that sin. The death on the cross was a payment for that sin. And he loved you so much. He's willing to forgive you even when you mess it up so that the grace of God would lead us into obedience, not lead us into more disobedience. Paul would say it this way, where where sin abounds, grace abounds. So then should we sin more? And Paul says, no. Just because there's more sin, yes, there's more grace, but does that mean we should sin more? No. Paul, Paul would say no. James would say the same thing. He, said, he says, no, that's, that's not real faith. Faith is trusting and following him in your daily life. That you would live it out. You know, some of you are a lot like this, uh, my neighbor's car that I drove down the hill. Um, I'm driving down the hill. They're literally... But by the grace of God, the, the car shut off. I had no brakes, no power steering. And it, I don't know if you've ever been on a hilly road going fast down the road with no power brakes and no steering. That's a little scary. I literally was with all my might turning this thing and trying to stop this thing. And thankfully, I just had one big last turn to do and then a fairly straight little road down to the end where I pulled off at the, uh, off the side of the road at the stop sign. So I made it all the way to the bottom of the hill. Woohoo! Um, I did it. Uh, but I was, I was literally in a dead car rolling. I was in a dead car, completely dead. No engine, no battery, no nothing. Rolling, down, no power steering. It was dangerous. You better believe it was dangerous. I could have been dead. I could have gone right off the side of that mountain if God had not, in his grace, allowed the engine to stay on long enough for me to get far enough down the hill that I didn't need that power steering and those brakes as much as I did when I was about a few seconds before. Many of your lives are like that. You are headed down the hill and your life is dead on the inside. Your heart is far from God. Your heart is far from him. And maybe you kind of keep charging it you know, you do some spiritual things here and there. I'll show up to church now and then. Maybe I throw $20 in to the, the children's home to make myself feel better. Um, but the reality is, is that your heart is far from God. God would say, come near to me. He would say, I stand at the door and knock. Start a relationship with me. 
I'm a God who loves you, who wants to give you grace, not so that you can just be disobedient, but so that you can know what it means to live in new life in Jesus. You can know what it means to live a new life in Jesus because you see when you have Jesus and you experience him and you experience fullness and freeness and forgiveness that God loves me just the way I am, you don't need acceptance other places. You just need Jesus. You don't care about your standard of living, but you want to be generous and to give because look at what God has given to you. You want to be gracious to others because look at what grace God's given to you. You don't look like everyone else because you've, you are different. And you go, no, God, God has something different, a different plan for me. So all these, this list of things just becomes to flip. You're not a lukewarm Christian. That's an oxymoron. You're a Christian, a person who begins to be like Jesus because of what he did. That's the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be. There, Jesus is this. He said, I've come to give you life life to the fullest. Without that, there is no life. Maybe you don't have him today. I want to give you an opportunity today to know him, to say, I'm no longer going to be a practical atheist. I'm no longer going to have this dead faith, dead car. I'm not going to keep charging my battery. I'm going to I'm going to do some serious heart surgery and I'm going to give my life over to Jesus and say, God, for the first time in my life, I'm willing to submit to you and say, it is not my own strength that gets me to heaven. It's you. And I'm going to surrender my life to you and I'm going to begin to walk in obedience with you and begin to do what you've called me to do. If you want to do that, you can pray and you can say that to God. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want everyone just to take an opportunity to, if you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you leave them open, you can leave them open. But we're going we're gonna to pray. This is your opportunity to pray. To be a person who's no longer going to say, I'm dead, but I'm alive. Jesus. I recognize that oftentimes I speak your name and I, I talk about how I believe in you. But when I look at my life, I realize there's not much going on. When I, when I look at the scriptures, I hear about what James would have to say. I have to admit that my heart is far from you. So God, I want to believe in you. I want to know you. So I accept you. I say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Not just words that I say. And Jesus, I commit my life to living it for you. I'm going to mess up. And thank you for forgiving me every time I do. But Jesus, I want to walk in obedience with you because of what you've done for me. I give you my life. Thank you. Amen.